0: Good morning to you. It is a beautiful day. We're all thankful to be together and it's good to be uh, in this assembly. We're going to be noticing uh, about five statements from the from the New Testament that helps us to be generous givers. Generous givers. About five statements from the New Testament. A couple weeks ago we talked about the deceitfulness of riches and we warned ourselves from scriptures about how that sometimes we think that we can handle both God and money, and we really can't, and Jesus warns us about that. We thought about how, a couple weeks ago, that, that riches seems to satisfy us, and yet, ultimately, they cannot. So, as a follow-up to that um, discussion, we will notice how to be generous givers. Notice these five statements together. Someone has said that that, um, Christians are like wells of water. Christians are like wells of water. And some wells have to be pumped to get the water out. Some wells you draw the water out. But then other wells are overflowing with water. And it is suggested that we need to be overflowing wells of water. We need to be generous uh, givers. Let's notice the scriptural statements made about giving. The first one is found in 2 Corinthians 9, verses 6 through 9, where it just simply says, God loves a cheerful giver. You'll see that in your Bible. God loves a cheerful giver, 2 Corinthians 9, 6 through 9. We're not to give, Paul says there, grudgingly or of necessity, for God loves a cheerful uh, giver. In fact, if you just think about it, that's the kind of gift that we all love. We don't really appreciate any other kind of gift than a cheerful uh, gift. Suppose a husband has been away on a trip and he comes home, uh, his wife, and he has a gift for her and he kind of He kind of just flings it on the table, and he said, well, here's your gift. I had to go three or four different places to get it. I had to stand in a long line, but I knew there would be a fuss if I didn't get it, so here's your gift. Doesn't sound like a cheerful gift, does it? And it's not going to be appreciated at all in that manner. God loves a cheerful giver, and so do we, absolutely. Be turning your Bibles to 2 Corinthians 8 for a second and see an example of what it really means to give cheerfully to God. Looking down to 2 Corinthians 8, and Paul is going to commend very highly the churches of Macedonia. The churches of Macedonia because of their giving. Looking down to verse 2, he says about them that they had an abundance of joy... And even in their extreme poverty, they had overflowed with a wealth of generosity on their part. Notice that. Even in affliction, persecution, even in poverty, yet they had overflowed with a wealth of generosity. Paul goes on to say, they didn't give just according to their means or to their power, but even beyond that, they overflowed with generosity, They gave according to their own free will. They gave beyond their own power uh, to give. Just amazing. And Paul brings up here in 2 Corinthians uh, 8, talking about these churches of Macedonia, these Christians who, who were giving in such an abundant way. He, he calls them beggars. He beggars. He calls them beggars. Sometimes when we think of a beggar, we don't have the best, the best mindset about that. But these beggars here, they're, they're not asking for relief from suffering. They're not asking for money. Okay. They're not asking for some prominent place. But what, notice, he says, they begged us. If I'm reading this right, if you look down to verses 3 and 4, notice he says, out of their own free will, verse 4, 2 Corinthians 8, He says, they begged us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the giving. And that's a cheerful giver. They're overflowing with a wealth of generosity, even though they're in great poverty and affliction. They gave beyond really their own ability to give, but they went ahead and gave it anyway. But on top of that, they are begging Paul for the opportunity to participate and the fundraising that he was involved in himself. This is a cheerful giver. So first of all, the first statement we will notice is that God loves a cheerful giver. And we need to be encouraged to be that way, of course. Second statement, Matthew 10 and verse 8. Matthew 10 and verse 8. Jesus is sending his apostles out To do some work, he says, as you go, you're going to have the ability to raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, cast out demons, heal the sick. And then he says, Matthew 10, verse 8, Freely you have received, and so freely give. That's our second statement about being a generous giver this morning. Freely you have received, and so freely you give. The apostles didn't have these abilities to do these miraculous things on their own. They had been given that freely. So you freely share this as you go about teaching the word. And so we also are, are so blessed by God. Freely we have received. And so freely we ought to give. And Somebody might argue, I have not received anything free. I have worked for everything that I have given, but we remind ourselves any wealth that we have, any prosperity that we have, anything that we have, it is because of God. You can glance back real fast to Deuteronomy 8, 17 and 18, where God there said to his people, it is the Lord has has given you your wealth, the Lord has given you the power to get your wealth, the Lord has got you either way. God God has set up this world for us to be able to have things. And God has given us the ability to go into this world and get things. Freely we have received. Freely we are to give. We're either going to be a clog or a channel. See, a channel is a little path that allows water or communication, if you want to talk about it that way. But... Channel is a little path that allows water to flow freely. So as we receive, we are to let it go and share it with others. Listen to what Paul says in Ephesians 4 and 28. Let him who stole steal no more, but rather let him labor with his hands that which is good, so that he may have wherewith to give to those in need. You see how that happened? You work... God has given you the power to work. God has given you a world to work in. You work so you can have things. What are you going to do? Why are you working? You're working so you can just pass that on to someone else. That's what it says. Freely we have received, freely you give. So we are going to be a channel of, of flowing blessings or we're going to be a clog. All of us have been in situations where a pipe has been clogged, and that creates a, a rather serious situation in a hurry. Okay. Something must be done in a hurry. And so it is with the blessings of God, we're either going to be a clog or we're going to be a channel. When you look into the early disciples, Acts chapter 2 and Acts chapter 4, you see what was happening there. You know that the day of Pentecost was Acts chapter 2. On the day of Pentecost, so many of the prophecies about uh, the Lord Jesus, so many prophecies about the coming kingdom were all fulfilled there. Many of the Jews who were there for Passover and Pentecost, they were beginning to recognize the prophecies being fulfilled. So instead of going back home, they stayed in order to learn more and to learn more and to learn more. That created sort of an emergency situation to where people needed housing, people needed food, people needed supplies. So what did the early Christians do? Acts 2:45, many of them sold their belongings and brought that and gave it to others. You jump over to Acts chapter uh, 4. And beginning about verse 32 and 33, you see them there. They're selling their lands. They're selling their houses. Acts 4, 32, 33, 34 talks about selling your belongings, your houses, your lands, bringing them, laying them at the apostles' feet so that people can have what they need. In fact, it says there in Acts 4, about verse 34, no one had any needs after all that there was no one in need after they sold and gave what they did sell and gave and give. There was just no need. And each of them said this, Acts 4, 32, that the things that they, were, they possessed was not their own, but they had all things common. So freely they had received, and freely they gave. You see, we begin to think I don't know where we get this, but may we, may, we, may we send it far away. We begin to think that we are the manufacturers, okay. but we're not the manufacturers. God has manufactured everything. God has created everything. God has created both physical and spiritual blessings, has He not? Okay. Our job is to distribute you see, we're always getting on the wrong side of the paper, wrong side of the ledger. You know? We think, well, we're to be over here creating things so that, so that people will pay more attention to us. And we, we're so foolish in that. Okay. Our job is just to recognize the blessings of God, whether it be physical or spiritual blessings in Christ, and share those things. We are distributors, okay? Freely we have received and freely we are to give. Okay, third statement from the New Testament. It's found going back to 2 Corinthians 8 and verse 5. The secret to the churches of Macedonia was this. They first gave themselves to the Lord. That's our third statement. First statement, God loves a cheerful giver. Second, freely you have received, freely you give. Now, our third statement here, 2 Corinthians 8 and verse 5. First, they gave themselves to the Lord. That's one of the great secrets of giving. And let's see if we can can illustrate this. There's probably no better place to go than the Good Samaritan. Luke chapter 10, verse 34. You remember how the Good Samaritan... Turn over there with me for a second and notice how... There are so many action words associated with what the Good Samaritan did for the man who was robbed and and beaten and left half dead. Luke 10 verse 34. Notice all the action words in his giving. This helps us to be a generous giver. And we're focusing here on They first gave themselves to the Lord. See if you think that the good Samaritan has given himself to the Lord. Okay. Well. Notice the action words here. Verse 34. First he went to him. And that's a lot more than the than the priest and Levite had done. They had passed by on the other side. First he went uh, to him. Secondly, he bound up his wounds. Luke 10, 34. Third, he poured on oil and wine. Fourth, he set him on his own donkey or animal. And then next, he brought him to the local inn. Notice these action words. And then when he got there with the inn, what did he do? He took care of him. And then the next day, verse 35, he took out two denarii. Notice what he's doing, all these action words. He took out two denarii. And then he gave them to the innkeeper. And then he said to the innkeeper, Take care of him and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Now that is a generous giver in action. He is giving himself first to the Lord. And so naturally these kinds of benevolent acts comes out of his soul. Now to illustrate this further about giving yourself first to the Lord I want us to think a couple minutes about the great Apostle Paul. Okay. Think with me for a moment or two about the great Apostle Paul. One thing he says is 2 Corinthians 12 and 15. He says, I will gladly spend and be spent uh, for the sake of your soul. I will gladly spend and be spent. The, The idea of being spent is to allow yourself to be spent or to be used up entirely in the Lord's cause. You see, he first gave himself to the Lord. All right, so let's just think about that for a second in regard to the Apostle Paul. We can jump around a little bit. Don't get panicky on it, but, but if you want to be turning over to Philippians 3, that might be good because, first of all, it caused Paul to become a Christian. Philippians 3, 4, 5, and 6. And then 7 and 8 and 9. It caused Paul to become a Christian. He had to give up much of himself to become a Christian. Before he became a Christian, he was, he was deep in the Jewish religion. You notice it there in Philippians 3, 4, 5, and 6. He was a Hebrew of Hebrews. He was circumcised the eighth day. He was of the stock of Israel, he was concerning zeal. He was a Pharisee. Okay, uh, concerning zeal, he persecuted the church. It is most likely that uh, much of his family disowned him when he became a Christian. But notice what he says, Paul, in Philippians three, in verse seven. He says, "Those things that that um, were gained to me, these things that were gained to me, I counted them as loss." Uh, For Jesus Christ. He says, in fact, I count all things for loss for the surpassing value, the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus Christ. I count everything for loss as loss in order to gain the value, the surpassing value. In other words, whatever I have given up, knowing Jesus Christ is of greater value easily. Paul had to give up a lot to become a Christian. I'm going to tell you, that's the same, maybe not to the same extent, the same way that Paul, but any time someone becomes a Christian, you've got to give up some things. It's going to cost you. It's going to cost you some Bible study. It's going to cost someone some serious reflection upon their heart and soul. Okay. It's going to cost some time. Okay. And, and that kind of process is going to be repeated over and over again. It costs to become a Christian. We were talking with some friends yesterday, and and it's quite interesting that their son uh, is dating a a young lady and had been talking to her about the gospel. And she did not grow up in the Lord's uh, church. And so, but she finally told her parents that she wanted to be baptized because this young man, who's a member of the church, had been sharing gospel with her and she had been thinking about this for several months. When she told her mother, who is not a member of the church, her mother cried this is modern day cried and begged her not to do it but she went ahead anyway her mother came to the baptism this happened about last part of March this year Crying at the Baptist, begging her not to do it, even. But the young lady went ahead and did it anyway. Why? Because she had put in the necessary time and study and serious reflection. It's going to cost us something. She didn't want to disappoint her mother, but there's something more valuable than that. And that is the surpassing value of knowing Jesus Christ. It caused Paul to become a Christian. It also caused Paul much of his health. Okay, much of his health to become a Christian and serve God. Now, the list is found in 2 Corinthians 11 23, 24, 25, 26, 27, 28. 2 Corinthians 11 23, following. Okay. And just for, just for time's sake, just for time's sake, we won't read the whole passage, but we'll mention a few things. You know there Paul mentions that that several times he was beaten, okay, several times he'd been stoned, several times he'd been shipwrecked, he had been in situations where he, he didn't have enough clothing, several times he was in situations where um, he didn't have enough to eat. Okay. And also he was whipped. He said, "Now, y'all check me on this. Didn't he say five times he received forty lashes, save one?" Okay. Multiply that. So would that be thirty-nine times five, or what? What is that? What is thirty? What is thirty-nine times five? One hundred ninety-five. Thirty-nine times. One hundred. Huh? Is that 195? 195 whippings, lashes. Okay. No wonder Paul says in Galatians 6 and 17, I bear in my body the marks of Jesus. He didn't call them his own marks. It's the marks of the Lord. Paul gave up much to serve the Lord. Much of his health, much of his prominence, much of his own people, but he was glad to do it for the surpassing value of knowing Jesus Christ. On top of that, Paul gave up chunks and chunks and chunks of time in his own life because he traveled over 12,000 miles. When you look at his epistles, you see that he traveled on the east side to Arabia And then he went as far as west on the map as Rome and even Spain, I believe. Okay. He just traveled and traveled and traveled. But what was the secret? He had first given himself to the Lord. We learn here, before we move on, we learn that that giving is more than just money. If we we just look at giving as just giving some money, then we've missed entirely what God wants us to think about giving. Giving is more than just the first day of the week. Absolutely. It's more than what you do on the first day of the week. It is your life. Giving is something that's often unplanned. Unplanned. How could they know the situation that was going to come up in the early church at Pentecost? Nobody could plan for that. But nonetheless, they got busy. They, they gave what was necessary. You know, that's what generosity is. Generosity is, is giving of your money, your possessions, your time, your energy, and giving what is necessary in, er, in order to fulfill the need. How could the good Samaritan going on a journey himself know what he would run into that day? He didn't know. Okay? It was totally unplanned. But he did what was necessary. Why? Because he had first given himself unto the Lord. Oftentimes, how how could Paul have known what he was going to encounter from every place that he went? But he was willing to give himself to the Lord. Next statement I want us to think about in regard to being a generous giver is found in Galatians 4 and verse 19 where Paul said he labored intensely so that Christ could be formed in his brethren. And that's the statement there. Until Christ is formed in us. God's desire is that Christ be formed in us. Or as Paul puts in Galatians 2 and verse 20. I'm crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, yet not I, but Christ lives in me. That's God's That's God's determination. He wants Christ living in us. In other words, he wants us to be like God. And the thing that drives us to be a generous giver is that we know the only way to be a generous giver is to be like God. And the only way to be like God is to be a generous giver. There was a supposed discussion between a man and an angel. And the man asked the angel, Do we have to keep giving giving again and again and again? And the angel answered, No. No. You just give until the master stops giving to you. You can stop giving. Once you decide that the master, the Lord of heaven and earth, has stopped giving to you, then you can stop giving to him. You see, we give because we know that we are serving the greatest giver that could ever be uh, could ever be thought of. Just think for a moment. God has given us life, breath, and all things, Acts 17, 24, and 25. God is freely giving us wisdom if we want it, James 1 and verse 5. God gives us the things that are necessary for everyday life. Every good gift comes from above, James 1, verse 17. God has given us his own son, John 3, verse 16. God has given us life, eternal life, through his son, Romans 6, verse 23. He's given us everything necessary in order to do his will for his son. God is, you can't outgive God. You can't outgive God. So if God is ever to be formed enough, if Jesus is going to live in us, if people are going to see Jesus living in us, Then we must be driven to be the greatest givers on earth. The final scriptural statement I want to bring before you in regard to generous giving is found in Acts 20 35. It is more blessed to give than to receive. It seems like we argue with God on this. Or perhaps we make a deal with God. Maybe we say, well, I see what you're saying. It is more blessed to give than to receive, but I'm okay with just receiving. I don't have to have that blessing. Thank you, Lord, anyway, I just, I'll do. I can live without that blessing, so I'm not going to be a generous giver. But you see, the man of God, the person of God, the disciple of Jesus knows that God blesses the generous giver. That's the thing. We all understand God blesses the generous giver. You just cannot give God. One illustration of this is what Jesus says in Luke 6 and verse 38. He says, "Give and it will be given unto you. Press down, shaken together, so shall it over, overflow in your bosom, in into your, into your lap." Okay. Notice the first part of that verse, Luke 6:38. Do you believe this? Give, and it shall be given unto you. It's reminiscent of Proverbs 11 and 25. If you just want to do some comparison, he that waters shall himself be watered; he that blesses shall himself be enriched. Proverbs 11:25. Jesus enhances this. Luke 6:38. Give, and it shall be given unto you. You see, the generous giver is a man of faith. He. He's a disciple. He just has faith. He knows that the promises of God are good, but do you know this? Do you know this? Do you believe this? Or is it just a passing thought? Is it just something said from the front of the church building? Is it something said from, from those who are just always talking spiritual? Or do you actually believe the Lord Jesus when He says, Give and it should be given unto you? That should be far enough, really. When you consider who Jesus is and all He's done, that'll be far enough. But He goes on a little bit, and He talks about this this pressing down and this shaking business. And what He's referring to there is the clothes that people wore in those days. They would wear inner garments and outer garments, and oftentimes the outer garments were had something like a like a sack. The outer gar- garment could be. Could be made into a sack. You just put the belt around in in a certain way. Then in front of you, and this is, this predates the backpack. In front of you, you would have a hollow place in your clothes. And you, when you go to the local grain market, then you would put your grain here and take it home. Now, if you had a a um, a good-hearted businessman there at the market, then he would. He would, you would pay for your grain, and then he would put grain into your into your sack there, your outer garment. But he would press it down, and then he would shake it some. Then he would press it down some more and shake it some, so you could have a full load of grain to take home with you. Now, you see what Jesus is saying: Given, it will be given to you. I will make things overflow for you if you will become a generous giver. It's much like what Jesus says in Matthew 6, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things, these things that we worry about, all these things will be added unto you. Who's going to do the adding unto you? It's not you. It's the Lord. But it just comes down, you know, do, do I believe this? Do I, do I really believe it? Do I, how do I look at the promises of God? We're reminded of, of Abraham What is said of Abraham in in Romans 4, 20 and 21? He staggered not at the promises of God. But he was fully convinced that that what God said that he would do, what God promised, that God was fully able to do it. Okay. Did did you see that? You think we ought to be like Abraham or not? Okay, or is that just that just written for something to to read and say, hmm, and, and, and go on? But is that something to take to heart? Can it be taken to heart? He did not stagger at the promises of God, but he was fully convinced. See, that's where you stop and say, now, am I that way? Is that that me? He was fully convinced that what God said he would do, he was fully capable of doing it, and that he will do it. No doubt. No doubt. Given, it should be given unto you. What do you think? What do you think? Back in the days of Malachi, You go to chapter 3 and verse 10, 11, 12. They weren't giving as they should. God, through that prophet, he looked to the people and he said, If you'll bring your full offerings to me, then you can put me to the test. This is the Lord talking to the people. If you'll bring your full offerings to me into the storehouse, their treasury in those days... Then you can put me to test and see if I do not open up the windows of heaven and pour down blessings on you. I'm not making that up. Okay? Look right there in your own Bible, Malachi chapter 3 from verses 7 to 12. And notice God said, put me to the test. He's still saying that today. Put me to the test. Freely receive, freely give. Let it go and see what happens. Let it go and see what happens. Now, what is the church? Of course, the church is not this building we're looking at this morning. The church is really not an institution per se. The church church is people. People. What God says to a person who would follow Him, God also says to a group of people who are following Him. And not only should this be... Our philosophy personally, but also our philosophy together if we're faithful, and that is to take whatever we have and give it away, let it go, and see what the Lord will do. Just see what the Lord will do. I dare you. It's not me, it's the Lord daring us. It's It's not me, it's the Lord saying, I dare you to do it. Just give it away. Be a free-flowing channel of blessings for the gospel and for those in need. Just, Just let it go and see if I don't bless you. See if all the things that you have so worried about and stayed up at night about and lost sleep about and lost health about. See if I don't just bless you in ways in which I know best to bless. Well, these five statements from Scripture. Certainly can help us to be more generous givers. And we'll just review them uh, right quick. God loves a cheerful giver. Freely you have received, freely uh, give. They first gave themselves unto the Lord. I'm going to labor, Paul says in Galatians 4:19, and until Christ is formed in you. You've got to be like God. And then finally... It is more blessed to give than to receive. How blessed we are to serve the God that we serve. He's so amazing beyond our words to even describe. But certain, one thing we can do, we can love Him, serve Him, and become more and more a giver like Him. Is it time this morning for you to become a Christian? Have you been reflecting? You know, Jesus before he left the earth said, he who believes and is baptized shall be saved. He led Peter to to preach on the day of Pentecost to repent and be baptized for the remission of your sins. And so we know what the Lord would have us to do. Have you been reflecting enough? Have you you been examining yourself? Do you know about sin? Do you know the tragedy of sin? Have you been convicted by that knowledge? If you're ready to come home if you're ready to meet the Lord are you ready to start walking with him be glad more than glad to assist you uh, this very morning let's all try to be more like God I believe that's what God wants ultimately is that we become more and more like him let's stand and sing